0: Magnify the name of Jesus. Amen. That is why we're here. You may be seated tonight. Let me go ahead and pray. We'll be in Philippians 1 here in just a few moments. If you want to turn there, if you have your Bible. Lord, we thank you for this night. Thank you for this opportunity, and I pray that it is your time, that your will be done, that you would anoint me to deliver your word, and that it will be what you desire to speak over this place. I believe there are souls in this place that this is exactly what they need to hear, and I just pray that they don't just hear your word tonight, but they respond. Because knowledge is just knowledge until someone's wise enough to put it into action. So I just pray that you would help us do that. Because you've called us for such a time as this. We exist today on purpose, with purpose, for a purpose. Let us not miss out on that. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 39 4 and 5 says this. Psalm 39, 4 and 5 will be in Philippians 1 in a moment. That'll be where we set anchor tonight. But Psalm 39, 4 and 5, O oh Lord, make me know my end. And what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is nothing, is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as mere breath what is the measure of my days o lord in the grand scheme of things how short is my life o god god help me to see help me to know how fleeting i am help me to understand just how short life really is because it is i didn't come up with this illustration but you might have saw this rope in here I'm like what in the world is this all about Maybe you've seen this. I've seen this a number of years ago, and I'm gonna use it tonight. Francis Chan did this in like 2010. I wanna use it to just try to help either enlighten you to the difference in the, uh, between your life and eternity or to refresh your perspective. But tonight, I just want you to go with me, okay, for a few moments. I want you to imagine that this whole rope represents eternity. This rope, even though it is not, Go with me. This rope goes forever, and it never stops, even though it stops just on the other side of that door. But it goes on forever, and this little black taped-off part, this part right here tonight represents how long your life is. It represents your life. I want to say a few things as I hold this rope in my hand awkwardly for a few moments. Okay? So go with me. Four things I want to say about this and about eternity compared to your life. Number one, our life is much shorter than we understand right now. It just really, truly is. James 4.14 says, what is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then you vanish. And when you realize just how short your life is in the grand scheme, in the grand scope of all things, it gives your life much more purpose and it gives your life much more meaning. It gives days much more meaning when you understand this. I don't know about you, but when when I have my perspective aligned right, when I see this life for what it really is, being short, I wanna live every day like it's on purpose. I wanna live every day like there might not be a tomorrow. I want to live this life as if eternity depended on it. As John Foreman says, life is short, I wanna live it well. Number two, eternity is much longer than we could ever fathom. I don't know if you know this, but eternity is like a really long time. It's it's it just goes on and on forever. Forever. You're welcome. Number three wasn't expecting that, was you? Number three. What awaits us in eternity should matter much more than anything does in this life. What awaits us in eternity should matter much more to us than anything in this life does. Matthew chapter six, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this in verse 19 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal those jerks. But lay up yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart may be also. It can be really easy to just get focused on this. I call it the temporal trap, the temporal trap, things that fade. It can be really easy to put our focus on things that ultimately moth and rust will destroy. It can be, get really easy to just... Be focused on things that die with us. How many things that you are living for are gonna die when you die? It can be really easy also to get just so fixated in little, little parts of this life, right? It can get really easy. For example, a lot of people, they want to, from about here to here, this is hard to do, from about here to here, what are we doing? We're working hard, hard, we're investing, we're trying to get ready for this little spot in eternity where we can do the amazing thing that is the American dream, which is to retire, right? So we spend all this time fixated on retirement where hopefully life can be easy, where we can live on Current River and be a river bum. That's my dream, amen? Amen. nobody else. Working and investing so much time and so much money so we can have good food and good times with little worry in this little bitty span of time, which really is nothing. How easy can it be to get caught in the temporal trap? Eternity. Went kind of far but not really. Eternity should be our focus. It should be what we invest the most in. It should be what has a hold of our heart. Eternity should be what has a hold of your heart, people. It should be what we treasure more than anything because the truth is that you're not guaranteed your next breath you're not guaranteed if you're going to wake up tomorrow or not. But eternity, eternity is an absolute. It's going to be there whether you wanted it to be or not. It's going to be there. The fourth thing. You can be much more sure of what's going to come in eternity than you can be sure of what's going to happen in this span of time. You can. James four thirteen through 17 says this. Four verses. Come now. You who say today or tomorrow will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? We read this a well while ago. For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. And we, we will live this and do this or do that. Excuse me. And as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him... It is sin. Don't get too full of yourself. Don't get so sure of your well-laid plans. Because God says, you know what, you might feel like you're sure of that, but those things you're banking on aren't guaranteed. There's a lot of people super happy that the stock market's low right now, right? Like, we weren't banking on that, were we? moving on i don't like it either moving on our life as well as our earthly plans are much more fragile than we might like to admit they just are the apostle paul I'll just leave that there you can stare at it all night if you'd like the apostle paul had a grasp on these truths and he didn't just have knowledge of it but he had the wisdom for these truths in his life to produce action. How much knowledge do you have, sidebar? How much knowledge do you have up there that you're doing nothing with? That's for another day. The Apostle Paul understood the brevity of life. He really did. He understood that forever means a lot more than the here and now does. He understood how fragile life is and how fragile life's plans are. And where we set our anchor tonight, Philippians 1, that's where we'll be. The Apostle Paul, as he wrote this, stood on the edge of life and death. He truly did not what tomorrow had in store for him. He did not know. He could be released tomorrow. He could be executed tomorrow. He could be beaten tomorrow. He wasn't sure what tomorrow held. But how did a man of God who understood just how important eternity was in the kingdom of God, how did he choose to live when he found himself in a place like this? And we hear hear how in Philippians 1, and we'll be in Philippians 1 throughout the night coming back and forth, but we're going to read verse 20 through 26 as our main text tonight. Philippians 1, 20 through 26. As it is my eager expectation and hope, that I will not at all be ashamed, but with that full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot, I cannot tell, I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to part, to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. To, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and in join the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. If this had a title, it would be this To live as Christ, to die as gain. Verse 21, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And if I were to be honest, this verse has been on my heart and on my soul and on my mind and weighing on me for weeks. I've thought a lot about this verse. I've prayed about it. And I pray, my prayer is that God will miraculously get me to the place where I can live in such a way, as verse 21 says, I want to live this way. Where my attitude is to live as Christ, to die is gain. And this phrase owes a lot more weight if you're the Apostle Paul. Because he had a death sentence, or perhaps a death sentence on his life. And people were chasing him down, beating him up, and throwing him in prison. All the time, so a verse like this, a statement like this has a lot more weight to it than some 31-year-old youth pastor does. But still, nonetheless, that is my prayer, and that's what I'm praying that God cultivates in me, this attitude where I can truly say at the end of my life, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Someone who can say this about their life Understands what's worth living for. They understand what's worth dying for as well. And they definitely, most certainly know what's going to happen when they die. The Apostle Paul, back to verse 20 for a moment, said this right before verse 21. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now as always Christ will be honored in my body. Christ will be honored in my life, whether by life or by death. Paul says in this verse, if you'll leave it up for a moment, my eager expectation and hope, in other words, my passion, my life's passion, my life's goal, my longing is that Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. He understood his purpose as we should, that we exist to exalt, to magnify, and to glorify the name of Jesus Christ. That's the reason for our existence, to make Christ look magnificent. That's why we're here. We're not here for ourselves, we're here for that. We're here to make, to make much of Christ because Christ alone is worthy of an entire life's devotion an entire life's affection only christ is worthy of that your spouse isn't worthy of that your church isn't worthy of that your friend isn't worthy of that but christ is christ is he alone is worthy And it is that understanding, and it is that very attitude that allowed the Apostle Paul to pin to me one of the most bold statements in all of Scripture that did not come out of the mouth of Jesus anyway. To live as Christ, to die as gain. And we're going we're to hang out here to li- and to live as Christ for quite a while. We'll get to to die as gain. In a little bit. The Apostle Paul was a very smart man. Very intelligent. And instead of using his gifts and his abilities to serve money, to serve self, to serve things that would fade away, which the truth of the matter is, that's serving the devil, whether we like to put it that way or not. He declares that my life will magnify Christ. And in verse 22, he says, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. And in verse 24 through 26, it says, as my eager expectation and hope, I will not at all be ashamed but that with full courage now as always, will be, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul says this, and we're going to hang out here a long time. Paul says, to live as Christ means that my life, is. if I am going to live as Christ, then my life will be fruitful. My life is going to produce fruit. Fruit that does not rot, and the fruit that matters most. And if you look at the Apostle Paul's life, that's exactly what happened. His fruit looked like this. His fruit looked like expanding the kingdom of God. He actually took the Bible and took Jesus' commands literally to spread the gospel to the four corners of the earth. That's what he did. Paul's fruit was growing the church in number. Not only did he do that, but Paul also discipled people to maturity. That's what his notes were about, right? That's what his letters were about. He was correcting. He was discipling all the time. That was his fruit, and we are still benefiting from the fruits of the apostle paul here today 2000 years later think about that and paul was able to yield much fruit because literally everywhere he went he had a kingdom mentality everywhere he went he was serving the kingdom he worked for the kingdom everywhere And he had all kinds of plans. He had all kinds of places. He had all kinds of things he wanted to do to further the gospel of the kingdom, read his story, read about his life. Some of those plans worked out well. Some of them did not. He didn't plan on being in prison all the time. He didn't plan on people wanting to kill him all the time. But yet, no matter where he found himself, he was faithful. He magnified Christ. And because of that, his life produced fruit. Just if we were to briefly look at Philippians, the book of Philippians, as the apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians, his, his well-laid plans were not working out. Read chapter 1. The Apostle Paul says in verse eight, for God is my witness, I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. As you read the beginning of this chapter, the Apostle Paul says, I wish I wasn't in prison because I so long to be with you. That was what he wanted. That wasn't his plan to be in prison, but there he found himself. But then he says this in verse 12 through 14. I want you to know, brothers, That what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all that, excuse me, and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. The apostle Paul says, hey, I'm in prison, but guess what? The prison guards now have heard the gospel and some have responded. Those who I am in prison with have also heard the gospel. And because I'm in prison, my brothers and sisters in Christ have got this boldness that has come over them to proclaim the good news of Jesus. So even though I'm in prison, I still my life still has fruit. I'm still producing. I'm still working. Even when my plan wasn't Happening the way I thought it would. Even though life wasn't going the way I thought it would. My life has fruit. Now if you were to go to Acts chapter 16. Which you should go home and read after this. You really should. Refresh your memory. We see in Acts 16. Things are going according to plan. Somewhat anyway. Kind of going according to plan. And you can read about the birth of the church in Philippi, the Philippian church, which by the way is the only church that the Apostle Paul did not correct in his letters. Did you know that? The Philippian church was, seemed to be, because he didn't correct them at all, the pinnacle of maturity as far as the churches go in the scriptures, right? But the Apostle Paul, in Acts chapter 16, we see the birth of the Philippian church, and how was the church birthed? In Acts 16, nine and 10, it says this. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So the apostle Paul and his crew set off to Macedonia. uh, uh, Philippi was one of the largest cities, if not the largest city in the district of Macedonia. And when the apostle Paul arrives, what does he do? You can read this for yourself. He's looking for the house of prayer. He's looking for the prayer meeting, as we might call it today. And what does he find? He finds a group of women who pray, a group of women who study the Torah and they want to fear the Lord and they want to live for Him. But these women had not yet heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there he finds a woman named Lydia, the first member of the church in Philippi. Lydia was a fashionista, Dolce Gabbana, Aqua, uh, de, no, I almost said Aqua de Janelle, but that is, uh, that's clone? Pretty sure. I just fluffed that. Anyway, you get the picture. Dolce & Gabbana, like, this woman had a fashion empire. She did. She was very, very wealthy, but she also had rejected paganism. She rejected the ways of the Romans, but she was hungry. She was looking for more. And what does the Apostle Paul come and do? He comes and he shares with her the gospel of Jesus Christ. And she finds the very thing she's longing for because she understood she could not hold up to the law. But she needed Jesus. She needed grace. She needed a new covenant. And that's what the Apostle Paul reveals to her in these verses. And as you read on. The Apostle Paul is going back to go pray in this city. And as he walks along, him and Silas are walking along. This is still the birth of the church in Philippi. And what happens as they're walking along going to pray? A demon-possessed slave girl starts to mock them and irritate them. So what does the Apostle Paul do? He turns around and casts the demon out of this slave girl and says, Be gone. And she's miraculously set free and saved by the power of the Holy Spirit. But what happens? This girl's slave owners are angry. They are furious because they have made much money off of her gift that a demon was exercising through her. So they're angry. So, what do they do? They take Paul and Silas, they take them before the rulers of the town, and there they're condemned and they're beaten the heck out of with rods. They're bound up and they're taken to prison. And in that prison, it says they are put in shackles. Now, if you know much about Roman shackles, like these weren't just handcuffs. What they would do, they would put you in contorted positions to make your body get to a place of agonizing pain. So there they sat, two members of the church so far, Lydia and and her household. It says that her whole house was saved. A demon-possessed slave girl and then they sat in prison at midnight, their bodies contorted in the innermost part of the prison where it was extremely dark and stank like nobody's business. And what do they do? What do they do? They start to sing. And what happens? They start to sing and give praise to God. The Bible says that all the prisoners heard it, and then what happens? An earthquake happens. And when this earthquake happens, the prison shakes and the doors fling open, and it says all the prisoners bounds all their shackles are open right so what happens in these verses the very the very jailer who was meant to take care of these prisoners and if you know much about these jailers they could not stay in their prisoners because if these prisoners got free it would cost them their life and so these men were XGIs. this guy was like a bad mamma jamma, and he knew how to torture people. And that's probably exactly what he did to Paul and Silas. So this man who tortured Paul and Silas, who was asleep and wakes up, and he's supposed to take care of all these people. He wakes up and he thinks, I am going to die, because all my prisoners are gone. What, does, what happens? Paul and Silas haven't went Anywhere, This man pulls out his sword. He's about to kill himself. And what do Paul and Silas do? They didn't go anywhere. They proclaim the gospel and the good news of Jesus. They stop him and say, hey, you don't have to do that. And then what happens? He is saved and his whole family is saved. This is the birth of the church in Philippi. They were birthed by a woman who was a fashionista in the Roman Empire, and the Apostle Paul, she engages her with the word of God. She's an intellectual. She's seeking, and she's seeking this truth. And the apostle Paul has it. And he engages her with truth. A fortune telling girl. I'm getting somewhere. I know I've said a lot from Acts 16. I'm getting somewhere. A fortune telling girl who was saved by the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. It took power for her to be saved. That's what drew her. And a blue collar prison guard who was engaged with a miracle but also an example. What kind of men care to stay in a place they don't belong? What Men that care. Men that think of someone else more than they think of themselves and that's what drew that man to Christ. Now we've just looked at some. We've looked at the beginning of the church in Philippi, we've looked at what Paul is doing while he's in prison. All this fruit, all this fruit, and just a small, just a small, just a little, little, you can't even, if it was a dot, you could, you could, a dot so small you couldn't see, just a small moment of his life. Because the Apostle Paul did much, much more than that, right? But why did he have such fruit? Why? Because he took God's word literally. Because what could be said of him, to live is Christ. And the Apostle Paul was ready to be used by the Holy Spirit in a myriad of ways. Church, people need to hear the word of God come out of our mouth. They need to hear your story, but you need to at least know some verses to share with them. You do. People need us to be ready, not just in this place, we're ready on, waiting on God sometimes to do something here. And God says, "Hey, I'm waiting for you to be like the Apostle Paul, ready to, ready to not be afraid of the kingdom of darkness, ready to have miraculous power flowing through your veins." Church, we need to be an example, just like the Apostle Paul was in Silas to this jailer. Where we go? We need to be an example. Our life needs to be a witness. You see, the Apostle Paul never stopped living for the kingdom, he never stopped magnifying Christ. That was his life, that was his aim, that was his mission. Now I understand, I am not the Apostle Paul. I understand that we're not all missionaries. We're not all church planners. That was his life goal. That's what he did. But what I hope in digging into these things for a few moments, I hope that you're you're stirred on the inside. I hope that you're enlightened to the fact that God wants you to labor for his kingdom wherever he has placed you and in whatever season of life you are in. Did you hear me, people? God wants to use you for his kingdom in whatever season of life you are in and wherever he has placed you right here, right now. And that's how the apostle Paul was able to be used, right? Because he wasn't looking to the next thing. He wasn't like, I'm going to wait till I can go to Philippi. No, I'm going to write them a letter. No, I'm, I'm going to wait to do this. I'm going to wait to do that. No, he was where he was, ready to live and mag- for God and magnify The kingdom, how often do we say, I'll I'll be much more effective if this happens. Or I'll be much more effective when my kid's not a toddler, which is where I'm at. Right? How long, how often do we waste moments and opportunities that God has placed in our lives for his kingdom because we're so worried about the next season and we're we're taking for granted where God has us right here, right now. If you're a student in school, don't overlook your opportunity. I wish I wouldn't have. If you're a single adult looking for a spouse, don't think you can just be more effective with the, for the kingdom when you get your spouse. If you're a newlywed, don't, God wants to use you where you're at right here, right now. Mom and dad, grandpa, grandma, retired, wherever you are in life, God wants to use you. Embrace your season. If it was meant to be a different season, you'd be there. But you're not. Embrace the time you have to spend taking care of your parents when you're secluded. Embrace the time you have to take care of the sick. Embrace the time when you have to spend time with your kids at home a lot because they're sick 27 times in a year. Embrace it. Don't despise it. If you're at home with your kids, you're a stay at home mom, what's your job? Your job is to love those kids. Your job is to share the good news with them. Your job is to teach them the word of God. That's the most important job you'll ever have. Wherever you are, wherever you find yourself, whatever season you're in, magnify the name of Christ and be ready to take care of kingdom business at all times. Now, let's talk about just plans for a minute. Who has a plan? Like a life plan. Anybody Anybody have any goals? Any aspirations for the future? Are you shy tonight? Are you like, he's going he's gonna to poop on all my plans? No. Just hear me out. Pardon my French. Three people. Praise God. All right. Sweet. So, I don't know what plans you've made. I have some of my own. Um, and making plans is good. It's good. It can even be godly. And I've got plans, and the truth of the matter is, I hope they're from God. Time may prove otherwise, but I hope they're from God. Maybe God has other plans for me. Maybe I'm aligned with him, but I want to make up my mind. I want to be steadfast in the fact that I want to be fruitful no matter what happens because my plans are fragile, and my life is fragile. I want to be fruitful No matter how messed up my plan gets, I want my life ambition and goal, number one, to be to magnify the name of Jesus. Because when I cross over the other side, whether by rapture or by death, I want my legacy to be one that they can say of me, he lived a life that magnified Christ. And I honestly don't really, not really so worried about what people say here and now. I'm more worried about the effect I can have on eternity. That's what I'm worried about. You know, I said this to my students the other night. We live in like this culture where we like to, to prop up people, right? People of faith, we do it too, don't we? We prop up these pastors to places they don't belong. We elevate them to God status. And you say, I didn't say they were. Well, you, you treat them like they were because you go to them and you, every week and you say, what does God have for me today? Whoa. Right? And what do we do? We elevate them up here, right? And you would think that people like that, they're going to be the ones you see in heaven who have the most jewels on their fingers and their crown's going to weigh 96 pounds, right? But I believe that probably the people you see in heaven that are the most decked out are probably people you've never even heard of. You're going to see them walking and you're going to be like, who is that? I want to know their story. I want to know what they did. And you know why people like, or they're going to be like people like that in heaven? It's because they had this attitude. And when you have this attitude, you cannot be stopped. When you truly believe to live as Christ, to die as gain, there's nothing that can stop you, and you will be afraid of nothing nor no one. I won't spend much time here. I'm almost done. Maybe. We talked a lot about to live as Christ and much more could be said about that. But I want to spend just a little time on this statement. To live as Christ, to die is gain. To die is gain. Mm. The Apostle Paul says in verse 23, I'm hard pressed between the two. Hard pressed. My desire is to to depart and to be with Christ. For that is far better. That's really hard for a 31-year-old dad who's been married for eight years to say. It's to say, man, to depart with Christ would be better. It's hard, right? For you people that are older, you're over the hill. I'm not there yet. (laughs) And you're coming down, right? You might relate a little more to this verse than I can or can feel like I can right now in the moment, but... I still want my attitude to be, and I still have to live with this eternal perspective and understand that even though I have all these plans, even though I want to take my son fishing, which I already have, it was a blast, and deer hunting, and I want to do all this fun stuff with him, I have to remember, and I want to make memories with my wife, and I had to say that and mention her so I didn't get in trouble later, right? But I really, really do. I got places I want to go, things I want to do, things I want to accomplish, but I have to remember that to depart with Christ is far better. It's far better It is The apostle Paul the one who stood On the edge of life and death All the time he understood this right To depart And be with Christ is far better Because we get to see him in a much more Intimate way than we see him right now Don't get me wrong we can experience God A lot more than we think we can right here And right now but one day We'll see him One day We'll see him Face to face. And you'll never have another day where God feels far away. That should be a song. Because ah, it rhymes. Revelation 21 verse 8. Why ruin a serious moment with a joke? Because my name is Zach Bogus. <laughs> Revelation 21, 1 through 8. I might, I might not read all the way through 8. We'll see. Revelation 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, moth and rust, fire, destroyed, right? The earth had passed away, the sea was no more, I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. and true and he said to me it is done i'm the alpha the omega the beginning of the end and the end to the thirsty i will give from the spring of water of life without payment the one who conquers will have this heritage and i will be his god and he will be my son but as for the cowardly the faithless the detestable as for murderers the sexual sexually immoral sorcerers idolaters and all liars Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Those first seven verses sound awesome. Do they not? And one day, one day I I know, I know, my my end is sure. I know where I'm going to be. You can't convince me otherwise. I'm not going to backslide. I'm not going to fall away. I speak that over my life in Jesus' name. I'm not afraid. I know what comes of my next life. True life. Eternal life. Forever life. A satisfied life. I don't know about you. I'm not very satisfied here. I don't know about you. My soul longs for eternity. I don't know about you, but this world does does not feel like home to me. And it shouldn't. D.L. Moody said this. Someday you'll read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. Death is gained because Christ is far superior. True life is in the next life. It's a better life. Not a life that's just full of self-indulgence. It's a better life. Paul believed this to be true and he lived a life that magnified Christ. And he could say, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Praise God. Can you stand with me? In closing, if you didn't know I was closing by me asking you to stand I'm going to read this quote from a pastor another quote this is good to me before I read it I talk a lot about Paul and as do most preachers Um, but man what a legacy right there was nothing that could stop this guy. They're like, hey, Paul, we're gonna kill you. Oh, to die is gain. Oh, Paul, we're gonna torture you. I, I counted a blessing to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. Oh man, we're gonna put you in prison. Oh, that's cool. I'm gonna share the good news with the prisoners and with the inmates. He was a danger to the kingdom of darkness wherever he went. There was no wonder he got passed around like a hot potato because the enemy kept trying to shut him up. And he's like, you can't shut me up. You can't stop me, you can't stop me. Here's this quote, fearless faith results, he had fearless faith, amen. He wasn't afraid of anything. Fearless faith results from holding on to Christ as our treasure. Gospel courage comes from gospel preciousness. If we truly believe that our reward in heaven far surpasses all the comfort and convenience and collections of the world, we too would be willing to consider them all lost. All lost, excuse me. We would hold all else loosely and ultimately fear nothing. I'd love to read that again, but I won't. I'll read the last sentence or last two if we truly believe our reward in heaven far surpasses all comfort and convenience collections of the world we too would be willing to consider them all lost we would hold all loosely and ultimately fear nothing like I said at the beginning about myself this is my prayer this is what the spirit has placed in my heart and in my life, and the truth of the matter is, I've just been camped out in the book of Philippians for six weeks, seven weeks now. This is where the Holy Spirit has had me. And I'm not, I'm, I'm I understand that having this attitude doesn't come easy and it doesn't come cheap. I also understand I cannot, in and of myself, cultivate this attitude, I can't create it. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. That's the only way. But I long for it. I've tasted what this world has to offer. Not all of it, but enough. my soul longs for something more. I want it to be said of me that this was how I lived my life. And John Piper says this, and I don't agree with John Piper and everything he says theologically, but he says this, and I most definitely agree with this. Christ is most magnified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Christ is most magnified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Let that be who we are. Because if it is who I am and it's who you are, nothing can stop us. And the kingdom of darkness will be afraid wherever we set our feet. Because there's no safe space for the enemy to be. Not Walmart. Nowhere. 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 This is what I'm going to do. If this is your heart's prayer, if this is your desire, I do I do believe, I feel led to ask you, if this is you, would you just come? Would you just come stand towards the front with me? I want to. What I would like to do is I'd like everyone who would, who everyone who wants to respond to this to come, and we're going to pray for each other. That's what we're going to do. So if you would, please come.